work now has thorns and thistles and difficulties. And the worst part of works being shattered is this. We now try to find our identity in our work. Welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. How passionate are you in the work you do each day? You know, God called for us to work and said it was good. But in the fall, in Genesis chapter 3, work, like many things, became cursed. So are we letting Jesus restore us to God's original plan? Here's David Chadwick. We're in the second part of a series on work called On the Job. Last week, on the On the Job series, here's what we covered. We looked at a biblical worldview on work, because I think you need to look at all of your lives through the lenses of a biblical worldview. That's how does the Bible address different subjects in your life and in the world. And regarding the subject of work, here's what the Bible teaches. God created the world in Genesis 1 and 2, and everything was good. And he worked, and on the seventh day he rested from that work, but he called work good. And he gave Adam and Eve responsibility over dress tilling and keeping the land, manual labor, and naming the animals mental labor. So manual and mental labor, originally created by God, were all good. But Genesis 3, the rebellion, the fall as it's called, shattered everything, including God's view of work. And work became cursed. We saw how in Genesis 3, work now has thorns and thistles and difficulties And the worst part of works being shattered is this. We now try to find our identity in our work. And what I said last week is your worth is not in your work. That's what Jesus partly came to redeem, was to give us a new identity so that our worth is not found in our work. Remember when you meet somebody at a party, what's the first question they ask you? What do you, what do you do? And we find our identity in what we do, not in who we are. So Jesus came to die on the cross, first of all, to make us a new person, a new person. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, the old has passed away and the new has come. We are new people in Christ. And when we receive him, his life enters into our lives and we literally find our identity now in him and him alone. And then what should come as a result of that relationship is no longer do we define ourselves by what we do, we are defined by that relationship with him. You got it? That we are not defined by what we do, our worth is not in our work. But he does something else, folks. He not only with our work gives us a new identity by us becoming a new person, he also gives us a new passion, a new passion. And that's what today's message is all about, how to have a new passion regarding how God wants us to look at our work once we become a new person in him. Are you ready? A guy named Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, an apostle, one called by Jesus, is the one who wrote these words about work. He said, whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord and not for man, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving who? 
You are serving the Lord Christ. As a Christian, you're serving the Lord Christ. If you're that new person, you're serving the Lord Christ. So the question then becomes, if you're a new person in Christ, how do you have a new passion? Uh, In other words, when your feet touch the floor in the morning, one of two phrases are going to first come out of your mouth. You'll either say, good Lord, it's morning. Or, good morning, Lord. Which is it? When you get up in the morning and face your day at work, what's the first phrase that comes from your mouth? Good Lord, it's morning. Man, I got to go to work. Or, good morning, Lord. I have something I'm really looking forward to today. Well, if it's the latter, here's why. First of all, you realize it's all in the call. It's all in the call. Say that with me. It's all in the call. Now, when work became cursed in Genesis 3 and thorns and thistles and the sweat of our brow became a part of our work, not like original intent where Adam and Eve enjoyed their work, were in a relationship with God every single day, woke up and said, good morning, Lord, what a great time to co-create with you. Genesis 3 destroyed all of that. And, and as a result of that, think about this. We have now even given our jobs a new name. On your forms that you fill out to apply for a job, you're asked to identify previous occupations. Now think about that word. We've defined work as an occupation, something to occupy our time for five days of the week so that we can get to the fun stuff on two days of the week. Work is just an occupation, occupying our time. Good Lord, it's morning. And God doesn't want that. It's all in the call, folks. When you come to faith in Jesus and you're a new creation, how does that affect your job? Suddenly you realize your work isn't an occupation to occupy your time five days of the week so that you can get to the two days that are fun. Your job becomes a vocation. A vocation. Now, the word vocation comes from the Latin word, which has the same etymological word source as voice, voxa, vocation. It's a calling from God. So that's what Paul's getting at here. He's saying that when you're in the workplace, whatever you do, you work hardly for the Lord because it's a calling where God has placed you. Now, let me tell you this. If you love the Lord and you believe that he's in control of all of the planets and all of the universe, that means he's in control of your life. That means that everything in your life is ordered according to the sovereign plan of God for your life. And wherever you are working is, what, is the place where God wants you to work. If it wasn't where he wanted you to work, you'd be someplace else. May I say that again? The place where you're working as a child of God is the place where he wants you to work or you'd be someplace else. So you are God's representative by his call to your workplace. 
And that changes the dynamics, doesn't it? From good, Lord, it's morning, to good morning, Lord, I am your representative in my workplace to glorify you. Which leads to the second point. How do you move from occupation to vocation? It's all in the call. And secondly, you realize God is your CEO. And if you are a CEO here today and you oversee your organization, God is your CEO. And if you are working in that organization, God is your CEO. Paul said it clearly. You're working for the Lord. You are serving the Lord Christ. Now, we've set up in our world a false dichotomy. And the truth is, from the biblical perspective, there's no difference between the sacred and the secular. Your workplace is sacred. Why? Because God ordered you to be there. The truth is, wherever you are, God is the CEO of that place. And you work there not to please people, but to please God. I love the great music writer, Johann Sebastian Bach, J.S. Bach. Did you know that as a committed follower of Jesus, at the bottom of each piece of music that he so majestically wrote, he would write three words, S-D-G, three letters, S-D-G. And for years, nobody knew what that meant. They thought maybe he had dedicated the music to a loved one who had those initials. And then finally, someone figured it out. That for years, Bach put S-D-G at the bottom of his musical pieces to symbolize three Latin words, soli deo gloria. It means to God alone belongs the glory. So Bach understood this principle that God is his CEO and that whatever he does, he does for the glory of God because God is his true boss. So therefore, if God is your true boss as a follower of Jesus who is a new creation in him and you have a new passion in your workplace, you enter with a great attitude to glorify him. You commit in your workplace to have a strong work ethic, not to please your boss or to impress other people around you, but for your true boss, God in heaven. You choose to be honest and integrous. Why? Because your boss in heaven would want you to be such. You are loyal and kind and compassionate because that reflects the qualities of the Savior who lives within you, who is your true boss. You don't gossip. You don't slander. Why? Because that doesn't give glory to the one who is your true boss. You are accountable solely to him for you are serving the Lord Christ. So no matter where you are, this new passion consumes you because you know your vocation, your call is to be where you are. And if you weren't supposed to be there, you'd be somewhere else because God would call you to another workplace. 
You can enter into your workplace tomorrow and say, thank you, God, good morning. I'm entering into the place where you have called me. SDG, to God alone belongs the glory. Let's use a biblical example. Joseph. Now, for those of you who don't know the story, it's in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, Genesis 37 through 50. Joseph was one of two boys born to his dad and a mom that he really loved. He had, had two wives. Uh, polygamy is a whole other subject. It wasn't God's will. God only had one plan for Jacob, but he married two different women and had 12 boys by several. But the one he really loved had two children, Joseph and Benjamin, and he loved them more than the other 10. Well, the other 10 didn't like it. And one time, Joseph got a huge multicolored coat that was valuable, and he wore it around with cockiness and kind of showing off and going, hey, daddy loves me more than you. Daddy loves me more than you. And the other 10 just had had it. And so finally, they came up with a theme and a scheme to get rid of Joseph. They decided one day to put him into a pit, take the multicolored coat, put some animal's blood on it, go back to the dad and say, he's dead, he's gone, he died, and he was in the pit. Finally taken out of the pit and became a part of a caravan that went down to Egypt hundreds of miles away, the brothers thought he was gone, didn't have to worry about his cockiness anymore, they were fine. Joseph in the pit then went to Egypt and was employed as a slave by a man named Potiphar. Powerful, wealthy, influential. And Joseph worked hard as unto the Lord with a strong work ethic. And Potiphar was impressed by this Jew who loved God and saw God alone as his CEO. And he began to elevate him in priority and power in his household. Then one day Potiphar's wife comes along and tries to seduce this young handsome buck. But Joseph, a man of integrity, who knew God's design for sexual morality only within the confines of a marriage, fled immorality. Well, Potiphar's wife didn't like one bit being rejected by this young teen. So she went to Potiphar and had Joseph arrested. And so Joseph went from the pit to Potiphar's house to prison. And then while in prison, he's there for several years. He involves himself with a baker who was unjustly imprisoned, who finally gets out because Joseph was able to interpret a dream and the baker told the Pharaoh and he got out and then was restored as the baker. And Joseph said, just don't forget me. And you know what? He forgot Joseph. And he stayed longer than he anticipated for years in the prison. But you know what he did? In the prison, he worked faithfully as unto the Lord. The jailer gave him more and more responsibilities in the prison until finally Pharaoh started having dreams. The baker reminded himself of Joseph, got him out of prison. Joseph came and interpreted the dreams for the Pharaoh, giving evidence that there was going to be a huge famine coming and they needed to store up all the food for seven years because there'd be seven years of famine. If they wanted to live, they needed to do that. Pharaoh believed Joseph. It all happened the way Joseph prophesied and Joseph was made now the prime minister of all of Egypt. Now, now do you see four stages of Joseph's vocational calling? Do you see it? First, he was in the pit, and what'd he do? He tried to be faithful to God. He just tried to be faithful and believe and trust. How do we know this? Well, you'll see it in just a second. And then he, when he's taken to Potiphar's house, what does he do? He just tries to be faithful to God. 
sees himself as God's agent, God's a CEO in Potiphar's household, and he's slowly but surely elevated to positions of responsibility. And then he's cast into prison. What does he do? He's faithful to God. He works hard day in and day out to do what he's responsible for doing, and the jailer notices it and elevates him in responsibility until finally he's taken to Pharaoh, shows what he knows, Pharaoh's impressed, and makes him prime minister. Do you see? In every place, whether it's in a good job situation or a bad job situation, whether he's in the pit or with Potiphar or in prison or with the prime minister, he's faithful with where God has called him because God is his CEO. Then at the end, of course, the brothers come and they don't recognize Joseph, but he recognizes them. The famine had consumed the land. The brothers come looking for food. They know that food had been stored up in Egypt. Joseph has this encounter with his brothers. And when they finally realize who Joseph is, they gasp. And by the way, in Genesis 50, 20, that's the most powerful verse of the whole story. Joseph looks at his brothers and said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God was in it. He was in the pit. He was in Potiphar's house. He was in the prison with him. And he was with him with Pharaoh in the palace. Working it all together for good. Just like no matter where you are, if you think your job's the pits and you're in the pit, God's with you, working it for good. If you're being favored right now and you're on an escalated trajectory, moving up in the organization, God's with you. It's part of the call. And your job's to trust God as a part of the call because here's the cool part of the story. When Joseph's brothers finally realized that Joseph knew who they were, their faces blanched, their hearts sank in their tummies, and they went, oh, no, revenge, and he holds all the cards. And look at what Joseph said to them in Genesis 45.5. Listen to this. And now, Joseph said to them, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for... God sent me. God sent me before you to save lives. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Coming up, David and I discuss his latest Davidism. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Tony Marciano, President and CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you stand at the intersection of homelessness and addiction? Let me put you in that person's shoes for just a second. What is it that you really need? You've probably been one of the individuals who stood at the end of the interstate ramp, holding a sign that said, hungry, will work for food. But you never used the money for food. You bought booze and drugs with it. And most likely, you hate your life. Your addiction has stolen every aspect of hope. You want to be part of the fabric of society, but every morning your addiction screams and you surrender to it. There is one thing you do need, and that is transformation. The place to go is Charlotte Rescue Mission. Charlotte Rescue Mission works from the inside out to address the root cause of someone at the crossroads of addiction and homelessness. The Rescue Mission provides free, Christian, residential, 
high-quality substance abuse recovery programs to members of our community who otherwise would not be able to afford such services. With a passion for holistic transformation and a love for Christ, the mission's 120-day program has transformed the lives of thousands of men and women in our community. Charlotte Rescue Mission is grateful for the financial partnership of Moments of Hope Church. Thanks for listening to Moments of Hope. I'm Jen Houston, and with me is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Jen Houston. I hope you're well today. I am. Thank you very much. Good. In this morning's e-devotion, you gave us some really good counsel about how we should continue to move forward, especially in difficult times. Would you share with us about some of these thoughts I'm sorry. Would you share some of those thoughts with our listeners? I will, Jen. Uh, It comes from the Davidism I use today. Here it is. The fruit is most luscious where the giants are the biggest. And I know Mm -hmm. some people who might not be biblically familiar are asking, what in the world does that mean? (laughs) Well, when Moses had the children of Israel on the border of the promised land, Mm -hmm. he sent 12 spies out into the land. And the 12 came back and they brought fruit with them from the promised land. And it was big and luscious beyond belief. Mm -hmm. Now, 10 of the spies looked at the lusciousness of the fruit and still had unbelief that didn't make them think they could conquer the promised land. It was only two, Joshua and Caleb, who looked at the land and looked at the fruit and said, our God is bigger than the giants and the walled cities in the land. The point being that the land that God had chosen for the Jews, even though there were huge giants in the land, Mm -hmm. even though there were walled cities throughout the land, there was also great, luscious fruit. Mm -hmm. And the point being that there is the most luscious fruit in our lives where the giants are the biggest. So don't let the giants in your life scare you off from whatever God has promised you. Mm. Keep moving forward. Claim those two great words in the Bible which always give us faith, but God. Yeah. Yeah, the giants are big. Yeah, the walled cities are huge, but God. Mm -hmm. And what you're going to find out is where those giants are and where those walled cities are, there's also the most luscious fruit possible. And that's what you can enjoy once you see God defeat the giants and tear down the walls of the walled cities. Mm -hmm. That's the point I'm trying to make today. Don't give up when you're fighting a huge battle. That's probably where the most luscious fruit in your life is going to exist. Well, I will definitely say for myself, anxiety is something that's been a giant in my life. And you know, in the last year or two, I've just, I've remembered the promises that have been prayed over me. And I've just held on and looked at the promises as well and trusting God with the fruit. And that has really helped me go through this, this battle of anxiety and face this giant. Well, Jen, one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy and peace. So if you are battling with the giant of anxiety and you can then conquer it with the but God of faith, well, what's the fruit that will come into your life? It's the luscious fruit of peace. Yeah. And don't all of us want to live in peace? Yes. Don't we want to live free from mm-hmm. the anxiety and fears that surround us? Mm-hmm. Of course we do. But you've got to fight those giants first. Yeah. You've got to slay them in the name 
name of Jesus. You've got to say, but God. God is bigger than those giants. And when you realize that internally in your heart, you are given a strength that conquers the giants. And then again, the fruit that comes to you is the luscious fruit of peace. Who Mm. doesn't want that perfect peace that passes all understanding? We need it. We need it today. Well, thank you so much for these thoughts today, David. You're welcome. And again, everybody, the giants are the biggest where the fruit's the most luscious. Don't be scared off by the giants. Slay them, and you'll have fruit that tastes better than any fruit you've ever tasted before. If you would like these Davidisms to arrive in your inbox every morning, please go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe there. Every morning at 7 a.m., they'll arrive from my heart to yours to give you daily a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message is from our online worship service, and you can be a part of our service each Sunday morning at both 9 and 11 o'clock by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. While you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. Also, check out David's weekly Hopecast, They're both free and available through our website. Again, that web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for peace in the Middle East.